You know, Will, that Apple has a reputation for being a very secretive company. Uh, a company that when they're working on a project, anybody who's involved with that project has to keep that thing under wraps. And, they, and then they even create teams within teams that know a certain amount of information that the greater team doesn't even know about. Because, well, for good reason, I guess, historically, they've done a pretty good job of keeping things under wraps with yes, new projects. Have. That's kind of changed recently, as the, uh, but most of the leaks that we see emerging aren't from HQ, it's from the supply chain somewhere further down the road once they actually start to make the thing. Uh -huh. But we talked recently about how Apple's considering making a car, at least the rumors are out there about that. And you start to realize, man, you gotta protect this massive project from the world's eyeballs for, for like five years. And so that's a difficult task to keep it under wraps. Now, once they start fabricating the thing, you can expect probably leaks to emerge. But anyway, historically, Apple has had that reputation. Uh, I remember the situation where an iPhone was left in a bar and Gizmodo found it. You remember that mm -hmm. story? And then federal agents showed up at the guy's place. He's like, oh, jeez, yeah, man. It got real there. This, is, this got very intense. Uh, so there's all kinds of stories like that, particularly when Steve Jobs was around. He was not messing around with the secretive, with the secrecy stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, today we have a prototype, which is sort of showcasing Apple's ultra security program. This is actually an Apple Watch prototype that looks nothing like an Apple Watch. And if you scroll down here, you'll see it looks kind of like an iPod actually. And there's a video made. Somebody actually got their hands on it. It does not have the digital crown interface. It's obviously an early prototype. And there's all kinds of rules and restrictions on it about what you do with it if you find it, who, whose hands it should be in, confidential property, etc. Now, this would be part of the Apple Watch development early version. And in the absence of the digital crown, you did kind of interact with it yeah. like an iPod with buttons. There's a whole giant home button on the front of it. Now, it got me thinking, you know, I was watching, I was watching that Mandalorian show. Uh-huh. And and uh, this is not a spoiler, but there's like there's a drone in it. And the drone is always is always like, like the thing he loves to say is, if I get captured, I gotta self-destruct. They can't, I yeah, cannot be it. captured. Yeah. A and that's kind of like what this box says about this. If you receive this, don't you dare do anything. This is only intended for, so it kind of rang a bell for me there that uh, if found, destroy. It doesn't say that specifically, but like if this prototype must be returned when recalled or uh, when your PVTE configuration, which pr presumably means production validation testing in line with language seen on other Apple development hardware, when your when your PVTE configuration or work, your validation testing runs out, it must be returned. That's the idea. That's the disclaimer. That's the warning. So super exclusive. I don't know what one of these would be worth. Uh, obviously, for a collector or something like that, it could be interesting. I know I've seen some prototypes of other Apple products in the past go to auction. Uh, although I don't know, that might be difficult when it's not really an official thing that you didn't get through an official means. Yeah, don't you think Apple would want to hunt this down? 
I don't know, maybe is it old enough now that they don't really care? Because you will see on eBay super old tester iPods show up here and there, for example, and they so. get sold. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe there's a certain time limit to which it's like, look, some of this stuff is going to get out eventually. Mm-hmm. And it's no longer a project we're trying to necessarily keep secretive. So they let it go. That little Lisa icon, by the way, is uh, is a kind of homage to the to Steve Jobs' daughter, Lisa, and the name uh, of the original computer, yeah, yeah. Lisa. They still use it in their modern products for testing. That's kind of interesting as well. So uh, anyways, that's a, a kind of a nice little glimpse into the secretive Apple world and into the origins, the early stages of the Apple Watch. It also makes you wonder if they originally had a different interface idea about how you would interface with it because the absence of the digital crown was like, did they plan on doing that? They just hadn't built it yet? Or did they originally plan to have buttons on the side like a typical watch? Mm -hmm. Maybe they did. And then they eventually landed on a digital crown option for scrolling around. Another Apple rumor has emerged around the m1 chip now when when we saw the m1 show up on the laptops a lot of people in our space in the video production world a lot of people on the tech side of things started to wonder what this might mean for the performance model mac computers like what about these really expensive macbook pros and mac pros are they all dead do we throw them straight in the trash now that the m1 exists and you kind of do to a certain extent you kind of do but this isn't the extent of what's possible with or through Apple Silicon, and they're not going to end it there, obviously. This is a consumer-level, in fact, entry-level computing product for Apple, the Mac Mini and the MacBook Air, a little bit less so the 13-inch MacBook Pro. So you know they got to bring more for the bigger laptop, and certainly if they continue to make a pro-model computer, and they're going to possibly be able to completely disrupt that other area of the marketplace for the chip makers, Intel and AMD, who sell to the workstation crowd if they can provide the type of performance improvements we saw on the laptop side, on the consumer level side with the M1 chip. If they can do the same in the desktop, things get scary. Uh And so originally when this was being talked about, the rumor was around a 32 core version. And that sounded tremendous given the performance gains that were seen on a mobile chip. However, now we have a new, some new speculation based on a tweet. The tweet comes via Leaks Apple Pro. And let me read the tweet to you, all right? All right. You're gonna love this. In quote, 64 cores, LOL, will tell you soon. <laughs> it's all it takes. If you're Leaks Apple, if, yeah. you're, if you're Leaks Apple Pro, it's all you gotta spit out right there. He's actually Ming Chi. Yeah, exactly. He's just uh, trolling on Twitter. He's a uh, a sub account, another account. Yeah, that's true, man. Because you never see the faces of a lot of leakers. Yeah, especially not originally. Now there's a few leakers that are proud of it, but the OG leakers, you never saw those guys. Yeah, that's on, what kept them leaking. On Mac Rumors website, you know, he can be really, you know, professional. Mm-hmm. But on Twitter, he mm-hmm. can be yeah, known elsewhere. <laughs> leak, leak over here. Know me over here, yeah. but I leak over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can definitely Good get some him. things done like that. I mean, Apple themselves could run some of these leaks accounts, see what the true, response yeah. is, and then go, oh, yeah, we should probably make that. Look at the reaction or yeah. or vice versa. No, no reaction. Federighi. 
Anyway, uh, Leaks Apple Pro hinted that Cupertino is working on a massive 64-core ARM-based chip for future iterations of the Mac Pro. Now, I got to believe this is going to take some time. Apple's custom 5-nanometer ARM-based silicon performs exceptionally well in native workloads. In software written for ARM chips, the A-core Apple M1 hangs in there with top-end Ryzen and Tiger Lake chips. So the 64-core chip could offer some intense performance for the creative types and the video editors specifically. I guess some uh, maybe even 3D type artists, things like this. Yeah. Uh, although they're typically more on the GPU side. Anyway, nonetheless, a 64-core Mac Pro would cost you, I don't know, 30 grand to start, something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is not a mass market thing, but it will be a bragging rights thing. It will be an F1 car type of thing. It'll be like, look at the benchmark. Yeah. Just export a video in five seconds. Get on my face. 64 cores. Yes. And what? And, you know? Yeah. But e easy there, Well, <laughs> Jeez, man. Is this actually good for Intel and AMD? Because they, they can step it up and be like, hey, we got 108 cores or something like that. It will be kind of like more competition. Competition is great for the yeah. customer. I don't know how great it is for Intel or AMD. I mean, Intel previously would have been selling Apple the chips to sell you. Yeah. So every Apple computer sold would benefit Intel directly. Mm -hmm. Now they're totally out of that game. They have a lot more work to do. They can't just make the sales deal. So maybe it probably help the end user ultimately, yeah. which is win. really what, what we're about. Yeah. Competition. Elon Musk flies to Hawaii to meet Oracle's Larry Ellison. These oh. are now the Texas, Texas guys because they both are relocating to Austin, Texas. Well, Elon is physically, he says he, he himself is relocating, but he did put the plant there for the, for the uh, Cybertruck. Mm -hmm. I forgot that I ordered one of those. I wonder if I'll get an update anytime soon. It's going to be a while. Yeah, give it and, a year. And then Larry Ellison, an update. he bounced out of California uh, and brought his enterprise to Texas. However, he himself, it looks like he's buying up pretty much all of Hawaii for himself to live. Which is what you do when you're on that billionaire level. The island of Lanai, apparently he owns, which is one of the islands, he owns 98% of it, which sound, sounded kind of crazy to me. I was like, really? 98%? Who's, first of all, who's got the 2%? What is the 2%? Ellison relocated to the Hawaiian island of Lanai earlier this month where the billionaire owns roughly 98% of the land. <laughs> Imagine you're the, you're the little uh, you have the little hut on the remaining yeah, two percent of the land. You're like I'm not I'm not giving in. I'm staying right here. They probably probably the government doesn't even want him to own one hundred percent of the land. Yeah, there's so, probably indigenous like heritage kind of. But ninety eight percent. Sheesh, money talks. The reveal came in a response to a tweet. I love it. I love tweet news. News that originates. From a simple tweet, somebody, Kim Paquette, was tracking Elon's private jet and noticed it made a trip to Hawaii. Not so long ago, Elon Musk would never have dreamt of going on a vacation the last week of Q4. Enjoy, sir. Relax after an amazing year. So this is an Elon fan who's exposing the fact that he has left the mainland United States but it's like, hey, maybe he wanted to be covert about that. And you're like wishing him luck. No, no. 
Because it, it's not because because it's not the coolest thing in the world right now to take a lavish vacation because uh -huh. a lot of the world's on lockdown. So she's like, enjoy your amazing vacation. You totally deserve. It. He's like, hey, I was trying to get out of here yeah. real quick. I have. I, hey, stop looking at my private jet. Yeah. Anyway, he uh, there's an entire Twitter account dedicated to his jet. He replied to the original tweet. I was just meeting with Larry Ellison to seek some advice. Back working on Tesla end of quarter tomorrow. So he's like, I'm not. He's like, hey, I'm not chilling. Don't say I'm chilling. Yeah. I only right, work. Yeah. I don't take a break. I'm not trying to catch a vacation. I mean, Hawaii's a nice place, but it's all business. I'm just talking to Larry Ellison. Yeah. Who, by the way, is the second largest shareholder in Tesla after Elon himself. Hmm. So, yeah, they could be talking business. They both go to Texas. They both own a boatload of Tesla. And uh, where else are they going to talk? These guys got to talk in private. They got to go to a private island, practically, to have a chat. Because everyone's listening and tracking at all the movements. Yeah. Anyway, what they're talking about, what he needed advice on, I have no idea. Maybe he needed to figure out which was the best barbecue spot in Austin. Now that he's surfing. chilling. Surfing. Yeah. In, in Hawaii. Hawaii mm. You know. Yeah, maybe he actually did need a little break. It's true. It's totally possible. Mm -hmm. And just so happened that his pal owns half Hawaii. Yeah. And he's like, yo, can I, I need like one day. And, and he's like, yeah, come down. Yeah. And they talked about nothing. And he actually just chilled over, over there. Maybe. That's, I mean, that, that's possible yeah, too. That's possible. that's possible too. But billionaire stuff, Will. Yeah. Who knows with the billionaire stuff? Maybe they got there and performed some sacred billionaire ritual that they have to do once every quarter. And they did a rain dance and whatever else. Illuminati. Nobody knows. Maybe Sean Penn was there. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Tesla, on a more business note, maybe this is what they were talking about. Tesla to start operations in India next year. Now, I know we have so many fans from India on this show right here and on Unbox Therapy. And they have been talking to me on Twitter. What is going on? Why can't I catch a Tesla? Where is Tesla in India? What's going on here? Obviously, tremendous technology fans living there, and they can't get their hands on what many would consider to be the most technologically advanced automobile. So kind of a weird situation. However, I, I suppose it turns out it's uh, somewhat difficult to enter that marketplace. Uh, not that Elon doesn't want to, but it, it, whatever. There's been, there's been difficulties in the past in getting there, and, and more importantly, getting there at a price that would be considered to be reasonable mm -hmm. and that's where this article comes in he says okay we're gonna go actually it was the transport minister of india that says tesla will come to india early next year and he says the first model to be launched will be the model three the cheapest tesla vehicle but then it goes on to say starting price 5.5 million indian rupees which is about seventy five thousand dollars hmm. so that gets me a bit confused on that because you can get a Model 3 for less than that here. Mm -hmm. You can get a Model 3 for less than that in USD. So, again, is it weird restrictions? Is it strictly related to shipping and getting into the country? Is it the tariffs because the product has zero assembly or input domestically, which has been such a big push from the local government? So there's a lot of questions that go into that price tag. However, I think people are going to be happy to see it there regardless. 
Starting, yeah, standard range starts at 30 grand USD. Performance is 48,000 USD. So 75,000 USD. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Now, you know it's going to act as an early status symbol when it first comes into the country. There's going to be yes. some wealthy people in India that can pay the 75, pay the 5.5 million rupees. It's not going to be many. And they're going to be able to boot around in a Tesla and be like, I'm on that thing mm -hmm. right now. And so maybe that gets the process going in India as far as driving up the demand as they figure out the other parts. Because for the time being, it does not look like they're going to be able to do any of the assembly. They have no plans to do a plant there. Or infrastructure, like building out those uh, superchargers. Supercharge, another problem. You know, Battery stuff, all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. So... It's a lot to tackle. Maybe you start like this. It, you create it as a premium product. Maybe for the people who can afford it, it's not their only car. So they don't have to completely rely on the lack of charging infrastructure, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, it's a totally different marketplace. Maybe this is the way you do it in order to learn something about it. Mm -hmm. And then you roll out your greater plans after you have extracted some, some data on the marketplace, figure out how people are using the vehicles what they want and what's different compared. I mean, th that's sort of what happened in China, right? They realized we can be far more competitive if we move the assembly right there. Cars, moving cars around, it's kind of a big deal around the globe. So they do the Gigafactory in Shanghai and now they're competing like crazy in China. Yeah, So and more job opportunities there too. Yeah, which is the whole reason for the incentivization of doing some portion of the assembly domestically. Mm -hmm. So maybe they get there, but there's no immediate plans, and that's likely why the price point is going to be really premium to start. But I think it's cool that something is happening because I've been hearing so much from people saying, "When? where is Tesla? Where is the electric vehicle revolution? When's it going to touch down over here? Yeah. Because that's what it does. It in incentivizes all the other brands yes. and makers to figure things out. That's what happened here. And if you're first, I mean, you said it, it could be a status symbol, you know, to show off your cool Tesla. That's right. Well, that was Tesla's whole game plan, right? Like yeah. When he was rolling around in a Roadster, it's the whole game plan. He had to make it that much better, that much cooler. It's like the old thing, well, you step into the boxing ring with the champ, you can't beat him on points. He's already got that going for him. The reputation is there you got to knock him out yeah to become the king you got to knock him out boxing. you got to make it clear hey my thing is is that much cooler that much better yeah etc etc we got some numbers for sony playstation 5 shipments and we all knew things were bananas uh, nobody not even sony themselves projected these kinds of numbers people just went crazy for gaming in 2020 as they got locked down, they just moved all their attention over to gaming. And it just so happened that we had a new console launch at the same time as pretty much the uh, like an unprecedented global lockdown. Uh -huh. And the first global lockdown of any kind where people actually have fast internet connections uh -huh. that they can game with. And so originally, I think Sony was targeting something like 10 million units, but now shipments are expected to reach up to 18 million units in 2021. And Sony has already shipped 3.4 million PlayStation 5 units in the last four weeks. 3.4 million. They're moving units, Will. Mm -hmm. And we, don't, we can't 
compare this to any numbers from and this by the way this is reported by digitimes i don't know if these are official numbers there there some some level of speculation in there apparently they're going to increase their supplies in more asian territories soon i i presume there was a rush to get the north american units because of christmas and stuff like that and maybe there's been a shortage elsewhere this is by the way this is the highest selling playstation console ever in its first four weeks of availability huh. that's pretty crazy when you consider the popular popularity of some of those playstations yeah over the years mm-hmm uh, but yeah, like I said, we don't have a uh, c- comparison to Xbox Series X numbers. I do remember hearing that it was also doing better than expected, but presumably not to this level because we were following the reseller markets and you can follow the costs and the prices and try to map demand in that fashion. But it's a good time to be in the gaming business. It's a good time to be Sony. And I want you to just imagine a room full of 20 million PlayStation 5s. To just put that in perspective, the volume of, there's 35 million people in the country that we're sitting in right now, okay? There's 20, we're talking 20 million PlayStations mm-hmm. in 2021. That's a lot of PlayStations. Yeah, and they're not that cheap either. They're not that cheap and they're yeah. not that small. They take up space. Yeah, yeah. 20 million PlayStation 5s sitting below TVs, wow. Congrats to Sony on that. I think Microsoft sort of helped them as well with the absence of the Halo at launch. Mm -hmm. I think that made it easier because you wanted to play a next-gen title, and really the only... It turned out the only one after the Cyberpunk debacle was Miles Morales' game. Yeah. And so they kind of got gifted on that front. But these things, they last for a long time. You keep the console for, what is it, like five years. Yeah. And well, so, until the new one comes out. Exactly. Or if you want to upgrade to the pro version. There will be some iterations, but yeah. you hold on to it for a little while. So I think that's why people have been able to justify it, the yeah. cost. Third-party AirPods Max solutions have started to be released in order to address the case criticisms, the, the famous meme-worthy... Uh, purse case, handle case, non-protective case thing that Apple shipped with the uh, most expensive headphone product that's ever made, the AirPods Max. Many roasted. I don't know if anyone really truly appreciated it. I think everyone roasted to a certain degree. I was late to the party getting my hands on a product, so I felt like a lot of the roasting had been done. I didn't feel the need to, to, to... Re-roast. It already... I looked at the coffee bean and it was already well roasted. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, people obviously not huge fans of Apple's case and also not huge fans of the fact that the case kind of an integral part of the usage of the headphone considering the magnets inside of the case put the headphone into that low power state, which is what you would want so that you can preserve battery life. So... It, that just kicks the third-party accessory companies into gear. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. A few people go make a few bucks now. Yeah, why not? And one of those companies is a company that's actually been making cases for Apple products for a really long time. They are called Waterfield. And they came out with a fully protective case. And you can see the nice, soft material on the inside. And then most importantly, 
the two leather pads in the center with the magnets installed, which will immediately put the headphones into a low power mode. Hmm. This case also features a section for storage of an audio cable if you choose to purchase the extra audio cable, a power brick, or a lightning cable to charge them up. So there's a little extra space in there too for practicality. And so I think, I mean, I, a lot of people at first glance would say, I'm not going to buy a $100 iPhone case, or not iPhone, a headphone case. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. But the people in the market for this case, they just spent 550 on the headphones. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of not that much of a stretch. It's still very expensive. It's, it's a $100 case, but it does a lot more, obviously, than the case that Apple gave you for free. It has a kind of like leather look to it. There's a zipper on the outside. I don't know if it's going to be to everybody's style. It kind of yeah. looks like a... Well, why is it like this? This style? That's, that's what they do. That Waterfield company. That's their thing, man. Oh, I see. It's like distressed. Uh, well, they could have made it look like a more typical fashion of uh, the AirPods Max. <laughs> it looks the exact opposite, but good, good on them. You want building. it to look more modern. In a way, are you yeah. roasting the case that was designed in order to roast because people roasted the other case? Now you're roasting no, no, that no, case. No, no. Yeah, my mistake. Sound like a re-roast. Sound like it's a re-roast amazing. to me. Yeah. Good um, on them. For no, building. I hear you. I hear you. It doesn't look modern. It looks distressed. It is kind of a funny choice. It could have just been black, or it, it, it could even if it was brown, it could have been smooth, like a smooth finish yeah. instead of this distressed leather look and the two tone look. But anyway, I think. Really, the selling, the selling factor is the functionality. Yes. Like because you just very functional. The, the Apple, utility. the product that Apple shipped doesn't do the thing. Mm-hmm. Now the other accessory that emerged was this little headphone stand that actually somebody made on Etsy. They 3D printed it. That's oh, kind yeah. of a nice little Cinderella story right there. It's called the Air Hanger. It also has strategically placed magnets. You have this little hanger, which I guess you kind of stick to the wall nearby your desk, wherever you use the headphones. You just hang the headphones on here, and they will immediately go into that low power mode. So that's kind of a nice little DIY. Now you know companies like 12 South will probably turn it into a commercial product. But still, for now, it is on Etsy. It's called the Air Hanger, and it's more affordable, although I think it's still 35 bucks. It is still 35 bucks. So look, it's a premium set of headphones. Obviously, the accessories are going to be need to have a premium price as well because they can't sell in massive volumes and they're targeted an audience that already spent an exorbitant amount of money on headphones. So it kind of makes sense. But some still very upset that Apple didn't solve this thing themselves and just put out a case kind of like the Waterfield case, but obviously with a different design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, however, have gotten a kick out of the funny memes and uh, all the rest. Of it. I, don't, I don't really care that much. I just, I just, the purse thing, I, I realize that it's, it's kind of annoying and I would never walk around like that with the headphones like that, but I just, I don't know why I'm not that angry about it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just a case. And it's functional. It works. I don't know. It just looks kind of funny. I don't know. It definitely looks funny. It's, I don't know why. I'm just not that mad about it. Yeah. I can't tell you why. I just, I'm just not that mad about it. The headphones themselves, for me, are more of a conversation piece than getting too obsessed over the case. Uh-huh. And the headphones themselves, I still feel, are kind of a tough justification, given the price point. But everyone already knows that. Like, you're really going to have to 
have some disposable income to make these things worthwhile. You have to have some money sitting around mm-hmm. to spend that kind of money on headphones. But I've been spending money on s- stupid stuff for a long time. Yeah. You know, you get too carried away in any particular segment and you start to ratchet things up and then you're adding to cart and what are you doing? Yeah. Getting carried away anyway. Well, at least it's available. Enthusiasm it's costs money. Yeah. But it's good that they designed it. It's out there. And uh, at least being the consumer, you can choose to have it or not. At least it's out there. That's all I have to say. Willie do. Yeah. At least it's out there. Yeah. Willie do's tagline. <laughs> at least it's That's out my there. my slogan. Oh, yeah. By the way, for those that were criti- uh, criticizing the price of the case, look at how many different production dates sold out. Yeah. Shipping December 31st, sold out. Shipping January 8th, sold out, sold out, sold out. Yeah, I think there's a market. And you know what? There are people who will buy anything that Apple makes and they will buy the accessory that they need in order to support that product. And some people get mad about it in the comments and they're like, you know, they use terms like sheep and this and that. It's like, hey, man, they're enthusiastic. They like it. They enjoy it. It's like if, I don't know, you had a, you have a favorite anything and you buy everything from it. It gets crazy. You know, you could collect those little figurines. You could collect model cars. You could yeah. collect Hot Wheels or baseball cards until one person it's, has no value to someone else has tremendous value. Yeah, it's just too hard, that. man. Yeah. Do you collect anything? What was the thing you said earlier? What? It's out there. Hey, it's out there. <laughs> At least it's out At there. At least it's out there. <laughs> We're going to stick with that. Coin that term. Someone just sold a OnePlus 9 5G prototype for $6,000. It's kind of like our initial story about the ultra-secret program Apple has. This is obviously not all that secretive. This is a a funny device because it has the that kind of development OnePlus logo on it. Of course, OnePlus 9 5G around the corner. Surprisingly, this listing shows up on eBay for a prototype. And somebody spends $6,000 on it. No one knows who exactly that is. Maybe, yeah, click on the listing there. Why does it say 3000 now? Listing was ended by the seller and the, or the item is no longer available. Oh, I think they increased the price. Go to that user's uh, account. Yeah. I think they relisted it. Oh, do they not have it where you can see the other items? Uh, OnePlus got them. Maybe OnePlus got them. Took him away. My understanding, based on this article, it was listed. It had some kind of personal information there. I mean, you see the IMEI or, or hardware number, whatever that is. Hard, no, not hardware version. It looks like the IMEI, but why would you put that? Anyway. Oh, it has like a version code at the bottom, which you can't wipe from the OS. It's a development phone. We've, we've seen these before. I don't know what this individual is going to be able to do with it. And, and then there's other speculation in the article that maybe Pete Lau or someone at OnePlus just picked it up to get it back. Right, right. Like, why wouldn't they just do that if they cared? Or just send it to us if you want the world to see the prototype. We'll show it off early. No problem. No problemo. <laughs> anyway, so my understanding, yeah, the, there was a listing for three grand. Then that was pulled by eBay because of certain information that was in the post that could have identified something that eBay didn't want to be identified, like personal information or something like that. Then it got uh, reposted at 6000 which it sold for, I guess. So it got sold. It did get sold for oh. 6000 bucks. 
Now, the 5G, this this new, the OnePlus 9 5G features a 6.5 inch display, dual camera setup, which is an interesting development for a flagship. Those two big camera units on the back. It's expected to feature Snapdragon's 888 chip, triple eight, eight gigs of RAM, 128 storage and a 4,500 milliamp hour battery. So someone got it early. We don't know who it is, but it's either someone at OnePlus, someone else, maybe a YouTuber. Well, I don't know. Mm. Speaking of YouTubers, this YouTuber kind of blew my mind over here, found functional Workboy, a Game Boy PDA accessory lost for three decades. I watched some of this video. Speaking of enthusiasm, people who are enthusiastic about things and then, and then you can't slow them down and it's just that's their thing. Yeah. This dude with the Game Boy, wow. It's a, I think it is a 30-minute video. Okay. Hold up, hold up. It's a 27-minute 29 second video from we got to get that we got to get the shout out in for the actual channel here channel name the guy's name is liam robertson what's the channel name do i have it correct here did you know gaming is the name of the channel so shout out to him he, he, it's so so much more comprehensive than I expected. I thought it was going to be, hey, check out this weird Game Boy gadget that never saw the light of day. But this guy, he, he gets in touch with the original founder of the company who made this product and then finds out about the history, finds out why it never happened. There was a, some kind of an issue in a Japanese foundry which resulted in a DRAM shortage which kept this product from being produced, it would have been an accessory that sold for almost as much as the Game Boy. Huh. And the reason I'm kind of interested in it is because it predates our smartphones. It predates our, it's like some alternate reality in which your Game Boy is your personal companion. Now, I, people are like, what are you talking about? That's a stretch, but you had a calendar you had a calculator, you had an agenda, you had a mini translator, you had a, a file system, uh. and you had a portability. Uh. Obviously, it wasn't the most streamlined configuration of such a thing, but the idea was there. Now, at the time, there were other accessories as well, which are being shown off in the video here, including uh, Stereo FM, there was the famous Nintendo printer, Game Boy printer, that hooked up, which was kind of weird and didn't serve much of a purpose. However, this Workboy looked like it may have actually been a sort of decent accessory. Mm. But it was shown off at CES all the way back in 1992. And uh, it vanished shortly after that. Now, the exciting part here is there are actually only two of these Workboys in existence oh. total. One of which is in the hands of Nintendo and we'll never see the light of day. And the other, this one right here in this video from one of the co-founders of the original company all the way back in the 90s, who you're seeing on screen right there. And he actually let this individual with the channel, I forgot it again, the name of the channel. Did you know gaming? Did you know gaming? He lent it to digital gaming for the purpose of this video. Now, one more thing. It wasn't as simple as plugging it in the unit was expected to ship with a cartridge which would unlock 
this variety of software. The software would be on the cartridge. The hardware would access the software, and then you could go through the menu system and do the various activities. The software doesn't exist anywhere. Mm. No one has the cartridge. So this guy found an emulator, installed it on a blank cartridge, and, and everything clicked and worked immediately. Awesome. As it would have if the thing ever ended up in a retail store, in a box, in a product that somebody could buy. So just a, I don't know, a cool little story, an alternate universe in which Nintendo beats everyone to the punch and buys the guy's company who made the work boy and integrates the keyboard right into the Game Boy. And now you would have had one of the earliest personal computing devices that many people already owned. Game Boy was a brand. It was a big uh -huh. time brand. A lot of those units are, were out there. I don't know. I've looked at this on the Wikipedia at one point. How many Game Boys actually sold? This is some tremendous number. Yeah. They were way ahead of the curve. And uh, obviously this didn't pan out, but I like to imagine these things well. I mean, I guess this would be a relic here. Would cost quite a lot since there's only two in history. And it doesn't look like a prototype. It looks real. It was ready to go. Yeah. It was ready to go. There was two reasons. So the foundry problem in Japan that was going to uh, manufacture the DRAM, which I guess in increased the cost, and then the the projected retail cost for the actual unit was too close to the cost of the actual Game Boy. I think mm -hmm. they were gonna needed to feasible. sell it for like 80 bucks, And at the time, that's obviously a lot of money. So the business didn't really work out, but I just like to imagine what could have been. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's interesting. Check it. Check it out if you're... If it strikes a chord with you. China is apparently developing a digital currency to thwart the U.S. dollar trap and help the world. Uh, this article, I read this article and I was like, hmm, let me find out about this digital currency. Because obviously you and I have uh, traveled to China and we have seen how everything is digital. You can barely use the cash. I mean, you can use the cash, but... When we were there, we were encouraged to boot, uh, start up WeChat so we could uh, yeah. have electronic payments because everybody wanted it. All the cabs and, and everything is all tied into your WeChat. So it's obvious that they're way ahead as far as the adoption or moving towards cashless. But then I'm reading the article and I'm like, oh, this, this, is, this is kind of a, a very patriotic piece about how the U.S., dollar is entrapping the world and and how um china's new digital currency can save countries feeling like developing nations that don't have bank accounts and and anyway it just felt like a sort of a promotional piece i'm yeah. just saying i just read that it felt like yeah. a promotional piece but from a tech perspective it does seem interesting because china has this tremendous capacity to roll something out to well, billion people with the snap of, with the snap of the fingers, they just go, "Oh, this is the way you're banking now. This is the way you're paying now," and then it seems to take well, off. I guess that's how we do it. I guess that's it, right? Like, and so it could sort sort of increase the attention around digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, things like this. Now, the whole appeal or the major appeal, significant portion of the appeal of digital currencies or cryptocurrencies specifically is the idea of them being decentralized. The idea of no foreign power, no central bank 
governing any aspect of that particular currency. Yeah. And so I'm not sure about the global adoption idea of people holding funds in Chinese digital currency. Right. In fact, uh, I'm so uncertain of it that our next story kind of highlights some of that. Our next story is about how China is pushing Alibaba founder Jack Ma to downsize his finance business. I don't know if you heard anything about this, but obviously you know who Jack Ma is. He's mm -hmm. was the richest the richest person in China for a while. I think he's number two now because he? he's he has some beef with the Chinese government, which you don't typically beef with the Chinese government. I don't know if I have to explain this to you, Will. You don't typically beef with them. Yeah. But anyway, he got many billions of dollars, so things are still okay for the time being. Apparently he made a comment. Uh, he called Chinese uh, banks state-owned pawn shops at a finance summit in Shanghai in October. He said they were handing out unnecessary loans. And ever since then, they were like, excuse me, what? You said what? Mm. And apparently, it's a bit of a crackdown now. Now, he, uh, post-Alibaba, he had the Alipay which was a huge electronic payment processor in China. And then he kind of diversified that business into a whole financial services business, like loans and bank accounts and save, like just became a bank kind of. Yeah. Came moving a, bank. a lot of money around. <laughs> moving, holding a lot of money. This uh, company, Ant, had a planned IPO in Hong Kong and Shanghai. It was expected to raise $34 billion in the initial offering. It would have been like broke every record. This thing was, this was big money stuff. And China stepped in and said, nah, uh, no, no, thank you. You're not going to do that. And since then, they've been cracking down saying, you got too much going on. You got to get back to your original business. You can have the Alipay thing. You can process the payments. But, uh, the other stuff you're doing is illegal and not in accordance with the law. Now, I don't know the specific portions that are not in accordance with the law or if it's simply a scale thing or obviously very complex, comprehensive type of issue. But I just wanted to show over the course of two consecutive stories how you can hear one thing in one place and something in the other place. Right here you have government crackdown on a wildly successful citizen, which can happen anywhere for the record. I mean, the government trying to crack down on... Well, not so much the individuals like Zuckerberg and Dorsey Bezos. and Bezos, but more so their companies. But yeah. same thing here. They're trying to crack down on his company. I'm just trying to bring light to the contrast Both that sides. exists depending which side of it yeah. you're on. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I guess we'll see how things shake out for him. But apparently his life has got a lot more complicated since then. He has to have... Uh, he, uh, what he, according to Bloomberg, his companies have been in crisis mode since then, since he made the comment, and his executives even formed a task force to deal with government watchdogs on a daily basis. So it's like there's definitely some friction there uh -huh. right now, and yeah. typically friction makes people nervous. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say, Will. I hear you. The U.S. is going to allow small drones to fly over humans, over people, and at night. And this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal because that whole drone delivery thing was counting on this. Now, previously, you had applications for licenses 
from all the big players. Google put the application, Amazon put the application, and Walmart put the application uh -huh. to be able to kick off these drone deliveries. No one wants to be left behind. They all want to be the high tech. They want to be on that new thing. They want to have those fast deliveries. And it's like also just the press and the hype around it. If you're first to do this, so many people are going to be talking about it yeah. that they're going to be like, oh yeah, I got to order some stuff on Amazon, try this out or whatever. If Walmart gets there first, that's a win for them. It's like a moon race. Yeah. But for the companies that deliver everything to you. Adopters will be many at first. Correct. Yeah. I like the way you said that. You know. Adopters will be many. It's first. not even early. It sounded adopters. like a line out of the Mandalorian I'm watching. Yeah. How what did it, that guy say? Uh, which guy? The, the very it, wise guy in the first season. Yeah. Like you will know or something. Yeah, that guy. That You yeah, reminded that me of him yeah. when you said that. That oh, guy. Really? I don't remember his name, but the guy who programmed the... Anyway, the, he, nice yeah. guy. Great guy. <laughs> Great guy, that guy. He's, he's good. He's good people. He's a great guy. Yeah. But yeah, he kind of talks in that Yoda way of like everything is a question. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. Very philosophical. Anyway, so this will allow for widespread commercial deliveries. There's a couple restrictions. There's going to have to be remote identification technology to enable drone identification from the ground. So they're going to have to spit out radio frequencies. Hey, I'm this drone. I'm from this uh, company, yeah. whatever. Uh, they're going to have to be easily identified. These rules are coming into place very soon, 60 days after publication in the Federal Register in January. Drone manufacturers will have 18 months to begin producing drones with this remote ID. And operators will have an additional year to provide that remote ID. And... As far as the nighttime stuff, at night operations... Those drones must be equipped with anti-collision lights. And the remote ID restriction applies to any drone over 0.55 pounds. So anyway, they got rules. Currently, the United States has 1.7 million drone registrations and 203,000 FAA certified remote pilots. So this could have a massive impact quickly. Yes. Things could really start to move quickly now. You'll start seeing swarms of drones. It could be the drones, the dr the drone swarm. They have to have anti-collision stuff and those lights that I mentioned. But imagine at nighttime, all those little bees flying over your head, uh -huh. and uh, unrestricted or restricted, but far less yeah. restricted. So, as mentioned, Google, Amazon, and Walmart won't be the first to actually use this. I didn't. I I had forgot that the Google company. Well, it's actually not under Google. It's an alphabet company called Wing. I don't know what their play is specifically. Do they want to build software or will they supply their drones to other retailers to use for delivery services that are not, obviously, that are in competition with companies like Amazon and Walmart? That's quite possible. But anyway, drone delivery closer than you may have originally thought. Have you heard of this idea, Will? Of a vaccine passport. Oh, you went one story too far. Or oh. you don't have the story. There you go. Oh. Um. A vaccine passport required for you to travel, go to concerts, go to the movies. I can guess what that is. How do you feel about that idea? How does that make you feel? Uh, I mean, I think it's 
pretty much required being in the state of where we're at. Kind of like a driver's license, I would say. <laughs> it's touchy, about to, touchy it's about subject, to get, uh, touchy subject. I'm just saying, touchy subject. Yeah. But, yeah, my initial thought is it would, like, if you have a vaccine and you're vaccinated. So this is not. You would probably have to have credentials. This is not as crazy as it sounds. <laughs> then why the weird pause there? It was very uh, dramatic. No, I'm you know I'm just goofing. Yeah. That's all. I'm always goofing on you. That's all, man. Maybe sweat there. <laughs> no, because think about it. Uh, now the passport component is obviously a, a, an enhanced version, but when kids when kids go to grade school, they have to prove they have to have the documents to prove that they had the vaccinations. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's part of the thing for a variety of potential childhood illnesses they have a series of vaccinations actually even your dog has vaccinations yeah <laughs> so and he has a passport and, and he has a passport with those vaccinations in it. it doesn't do much he can't travel it literally just exists to uh for you to keep track yeah that's all it is at the moment now what we're talking about here will is an actual vaccine passport like that your passport would not function to bring you to certain countries if it did not prove that you had had the vaccination. Uh -huh. That's the concept here. Now, people get real sensitive about something like this right? because there is a, an instinct inside of a human being, a human creature, that you do not want to be told what to do, that you uh, enjoy your freedom, that you have not broken a law, and that it is your right to decide whether or not you have a vaccination and right. you put that in your body. And so that's on one side of the spectrum. On this other side of the spectrum is the point of view that you shared earlier, which is, hey, I'm trying to get on my life right here. If I can go to a movie theater yeah. tomorrow with this stupid passport, I'm going to do it. Like, yeah. that's the other side that's you. Mm -hmm. So it's... Uh, it's going to be a difficult thing to process, but it's it's in development. There's a lot of players in the game. Common Trust Network, the Common Pat, the Compass Pass, and IBM are some of the companies that have developed apps for this purpose. ID apps mm. that inside of those apps, I suppose it would be somehow validated, and it would be willy do. And wherever it was that you were going to go, they could scan it and and know that it was truly authenticated, that it was you, and that you had mm -hmm. this vaccination. Now, once again, to get back into conspiracy land, just for a minute, just for fun. Uh, okay. Where does it end? Yeah. Like typical restaurants, you know, like. That no, 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 no. What I mean uh, is, what I mean is. Okay. How many vaccinations? What about other activities? What about your other lifestyle choices? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a global pandemic, so I realize it's an extreme case, but yeah. I'm just I'm just saying this is where people go on the other side of the argument. Uh -huh. They start to feel they start to white. feel a little bit. I'm just Yeah. I want to get back to life too, man. Uh-huh. I want to get back to life too. But again, I really feel when I when I shoot this show here, I really feel that the task, for me at least, is to uh illuminate the the complexity through the exposure of 
the alternate points of view because there's an alternate point of view on every single topic that you cover. Yeah, it's never black and white. And and, and so it's like very rarely. It's like once you and we talk about this on previous episodes, but once you challenge yourself to see through the eyes, to see through those POVs, then you it becomes easier for you to relate to individuals uh -huh. across a variety of opinions uh -huh. and to empathize and to not necessarily be as uh, um, rigid. Sometimes being rigid is good too. Sometimes. That's uh -huh. another thing. Sometimes certain situations call for it. Fast acting stuff. Anyway, this is supposed to be released soon. We'll see uh, how that develops. I've heard already of the development of vaccine-only flights to certain places where the airline will enforce it. Uh. There's a lot of ways in which this thing could go down, and it'll be interesting to see how it develops. But some big players are involved here in uh, figuring out how these apps might work, and it seems inevitable some form of this will emerge. Yeah. On a nicer note, Nintendo collabs with Starlight to roll out hospital-safe consoles across America. You see this, Will? Yeah. This is just a feel-good. I'm just, this is straight-up feel-good. There's no dual point of view here. There's it's one no point of view, and I'm rigid about it. <laughs> and get out of my face if you disagree! Yeah. Nintendo has created a specialized console that meets the requirements to be hospital-safe for sanitization purposes and uh, uh, port portability surface, uh, purposes services, yeah. so forth. It's a kind of all-in-one stand-up unit, which allows an individual to play Nintendo Switch, and it rolls into, uh, well, really a sick kid's uh, hospital room uh -huh. and gives them something to do because they're, well, man, they're in the hospital bed, and they're a kid. That's yeah. rough. Now, some may have access to a little Nintendo Switch of their own, but others probably don't. And then... Nintendo through this partnership with Starlight, they roll this one in there. They have different themes too. Maybe some kids didn't even know they were into gaming and then they rolled Nintendo in and all of a sudden it brightens the mood a little bit. Yeah, I like how the the system is colored. It's colorful. There's Mario at the front. Either it's actually a few different versions, in fact. That's the Mario model. There's also a Princess Peach, a Yoshi, and a Donkey Kong, which can roll in. The uh, unit there is preloaded with 25 games. Breath of the Wild, Super Mario Maker 2, Super Mario Party, Let's Go Pikachu, Mario Odyssey, Stardew Valley, Cuphead, and Minecraft are all baked in there. And here's the quote from Nintendo. Gaming delivers happiness to kids stuck in the hospital by providing entertainment and much-needed distraction from stressful situations. It can even provide emotional support resulting in reduced anxiety and improved mood. I think in those types of circumstances, uh, this is one of the areas in which gaming can can really actually be helpful. Yeah. And one of those areas where it's true, some type of distraction can be really meaningful for individuals in a compromised position like that. And uh, you love to see it, don't you? Good vibe. Shout out, Nintendo. Shout out.